So we said right at the beginning um, <coughs> of the retreat that uh, people use these words enchantment, imaginal, soul, divine, in lots of different ways. Um, <coughs> on this retreat, we're choosing to include in our meaning of what enchantment is, or the kinds of enchantment that we're talking about, um, include a sense of divinity so that that's what we're talking about. When we, when we speak about enchantment, it includes a sense of divinity, some sense of divinity, of divine dimensions. Now, we've already uh, been talking quite a bit, and Catherine was talking, and uh, we've mentioned, um, we're actually, in a way, uh, part of what we're interested in enchanting is, is the world, of course, but also the self. And we re-enchant the self. So um, last night and, and actually in the next couple of days, we'll be circling around this and exploring what does that mean, what does it involve, what does it require to re-enchant the sense of self. And there's uh, so much we could say about all this stuff, but let's st- take a step back and um, talk perhaps a little bit about divinity. Um, just a little bit. Uh, I, I talked to some in other talks. And I actually don't want to say too much, but just a, just a couple of things. Um, this is, you know, the range of what that could mean, the depths of what that could mean is enormous. But we've been making this distinction on this retreat between what we could call a kind of divinity that f- that is sensed as universal. Um, and uh, it's everywhere and in everything, uh, equal, regardless. So this is, if you know, in these kind of traditions, insight meditation, and probably most um, meditative traditions uh, that, that are around these days, that's probably the most common kind of divinity, sense of divinity that's open to. It can come in all kinds of ways. But in a way, it's a kind of, I would say, a natural uh, unfolding of, of, of uh, deepening in meditation. Um, what's, <coughs> what ca- what's characteristic of that, u- that opening to universal- universality, a universal dimension of divinity, is, is less fabrication of perception. This isn't obvious for people, but someone doing... Uh, <coughs> extended metta practice, loving-kindness practice, eventually what, they, what will happen is it will feel like at some point um, the whole world has the fabric of love. The whole world is made of love. It is love. That's its essence, its substance. As much as it's concrete or, or whatever it is, at another level one feels, one holds be- one's whole being that the whole world is love or the whole world is compassion. And this is a natural unfolding, but it has a universal quality. Everything is equally that, including myself. I am part of that oneness. What's actually happening there um, is there's a, there's a fabrication of perception, but the perception is being fabricated less. Instead of solidity and separateness and contraction of this and that, being different, etc., um, all that fabrication of the perception of separate things is calming down a little bit. 
and and joined together in some kind of oneness. It could be a oneness of love, it could be a oneness of awareness, it could be a oneness of um, silence. Those beautiful poems of Thomas Merton that Catherine was reading last night. One silence pervades everything. One silence at the core of my being, of your being. We can know this. Beautiful, available, mystical perceptions coming out of more usual kinds of um, practice that we do. Uh, One nothingness, one peace. They're all flavors of universal oneness that we can know. It just comes in, in different ways from letting go of clinging and the perception just naturally will open out to, to these mystical perceptions. And Catherine was talking about desire last night. Some people have a, a passion, a burning desire to know, to know, to know that level of, of, the, of the universal divine to know that silence, to taste it, to, to feel it at the center of the being and the center of all things. Or to know all of these, all of those kinds of oneness. Something is on fire in the being. I want to know that. And we can know it. So there's a desire for that and then interestingly, and this is, this is all, in, in a way this is all classical Dharma teaching, uh, what I'm talking about so far, there's a desire for that, a burning desire for, for these kinds of openings, these kind of mystical, universal in, uh, insights of universal divinity. And then the knowing of that, the tasting of that silence, of that peace, of that love, then does something to my desires uh, in, in, in the rest of my life. It, it gives a context, the black around the flame that Catherine was talking about last night. That's what that black is. It's the universal peace or love or silence or whatever. And so the flame can burn, but it has, it has context. All these universal, universal divinities give equanimity in our life in relation to the comings, goings, ups, downs, desires for this person, that person, this thing, that thing. It's all put in a different mystical context. Not, I hope, that we become um, uh, anemic and bleached of all kind of engagement with life, but, but the, the, the whole uh, swelling up and dying down of our desires in life is just held differently in a much vaster space, in a much vaster context. And then the kinds of things that we've been talking about on this retreat, beginning to talk about then, what is then the place of eros? What is then the place of sexuality? How does that... We're asking a lot on this retreat, because we're not just saying, let it go. The imagination, the erotic, the sexual, (coughs) the desire, the dark, the dark gods. We're not just saying, let it go. It's bad, get rid of it, iron it out. We're also not just saying, just be mindful of it. Where can we re-engage with it? Can we include it on the path? It's asking a lot. You know, when this kind of what, what we're setting up here as a path is really asking a lot, a lot of skill, a lot of healing, a lot of bases, a lot of development, a lot of intelligent perspective and conceptual framework.
but this black, this silence, this mystical oneness, or these mystical onenesses, um, as I say, give give a kind of steadiness. There's a there's a a resource of steadiness in relationship to our desire, and we're freer with the desire. I'm not I'm not bowled over this way or that by it. So I've got this infinite, infinite resource. So there's this universal kind of divinity, and then there's the divinity of that comes more through the imaginal. And a divinity that retains personhood, either of the imaginal figure, or of myself, or of the other, of, of this object, of this tree, of whatever it is. the divinity in and through the particulars uh, and the persons, an imaginal divinity. Now these, like we said right at the beginning, all this, these overlap. It's like not to make these little neat frames. These overlap, but there's, there's a distinction here. Can we know and taste and develop skill in opening to... Uh, both kinds of divinity, the universal and the personal, the oneness and the particular. Yes, we can. But as I said, it's asking a lot. It's actually asking a lot. There's a, I don't know if you can get the sense of the breadth of what, what's going to, you know, would be involved in such a, such a path. Because we're including the dark, we're including the desire, and all of that. So again, we can have desire for both. We, 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 we long for, I long to know both, both these kinds of divinity. I long to have my life <coughs> infused by, by them, by that knowing, by that seeing. The first, the universal, will cool the desires in and for the world. An opening to vast universal divinity will cool the desires in and for the world. The second kind of divinity will inflame them. Somehow this needs to be balanced, perhaps. And there's other factors that contrary this there's too much to say about so we'll be circling around it in the, in, the, in the days. And then, and then we come back to this question of self and re-enchanting the self and saying included in that is seeing, sensing, knowing, feeling the divinity of the self, yourself. How does it feel right now if you consider the possibility of seeing your divinity. How does that strike you? To know that you are divine. Both because you are part of a oneness that you may have glimpsed or intuited or know well, 
but also that you are divine in and through the particulars of your personhood, all the darknesses, all the difficulties, all the dukkha, your desires, the events of your life. How, how does that even strike you right now? How does it feel as a possibility? You, unique you, your unique life, your unique life and death, divine. What does that stir in your being? <coughs> And we could say a lot just about that, and, and, and we will. You know, what, what our responses to even that kind of possibility uh, can be. But if I add another question, what's your sense of what would help you know your divinity? In that second sense of the particular, your personhood, every little detail, every little uniqueness. What's your sense of what would help you to know that? Where perhaps have you glimpsed that or intuit that or get a sense? So I don't know about instructions, I'm not sure, it's so individualist in, in terms of so many elements that, that make, make this, this journey up, this part of the journey up, that um, is very individual in terms of what order people do things and what needs to be developed, so what needs to allow that, what needs to be there to actually allow that kind of transformation of perception. So in terms of instructions, I'm actually not sure. Uh, so I, I don't know uh, what you need, um, what, what's needed. But we could say some general things. Um, the uh, the universal kind of divinity happens, as I said, just through practicing sort of standard practices like um, metta and uh, loving kindness and compassion and those kind of things, the Brahma Viharas, or um, resting in awareness, just being aware of awareness. Um, and open to all things. And eventually that awareness will just permeate everything, will have a sense of universality, infinitude, and divinity to it. Uh, or, or just seeing emptiness more and more. All of them characterized by certain degrees of unfabricating, and eventually, if, if one really goes deep and skillfully with the emptiness practice, eventually total unfabricating. And that gives this universal, uh, different kinds of degrees of depths of, of and flavors of universal divinity. But the other kind of divinity, the more personal one, um, may be uh, a natural evolution of imaginal practice. It may be just what arises over time when we open to the, the path of the imaginal and play with it. But something happens, uh, slow, usually slowly, that instead of this, this imaginal figure that I then work with in my meditation period and then I 
um, have my day or whatever, and then I have another meditation period and I engage it. Actually, eventually, a whole sensibility, a whole way of feeling and sensing life um, becomes more available. Life becomes image. Image and life meet, and life becomes image. Life becomes image. Life is imbued with the imaginal. We, we, we have a different relationship, a different, if you like, a different dimension available to us. This Blake's a double vision, William Blake's double vision that he talked about. And I said, and you can begin to get a sense of this because when when an imaginal figure or a certain image um, is is strong, is soul making, look then, recognize in it, it already has the flavor of divinity, it already has a sense of dimensionality, already has a sense of eternality to it. So an image that's really alive, that really touches you, that stirs a soul making, it's what I would call iconic. It has this timeless quality to it. This is, this is the divinity inherent in the imaginal, if you like. And life becomes ensouled. Soul is everywhere in, in life. It's just amenable to our modes of being, ways of looking. And that includes the self and all the foibles and the follies and the crazinesses and the beauties and the gifts of, of, of yourself. All that becomes enchanted, becomes divine in and through the particular. A couple of people asked me, um, I think at some point, I, I said in a talk or maybe I wrote something somewhere about, about my illness and about possibly dying soon. Or some people say, very probably dying soon. Um, I said, that's perfect. Or, or, or rather, I can have a sense in, 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 uh, in the depths of things of the perfection of all of it. What, how can you say that? What's going on there? And someone wrote a note about Ramdas's teacher, Neem Karoli Baba, who used to say, can't you see everything's perfect? Can't you see? Everything's perfect. Now, I can't speak for Nimkaroli Baba, but um, I'm guessing that that kind of perfect that he was talking about then was related to the universal perfect. So if in the universal, sorry, the universal divine, if everything is love, if everything is just awareness, it doesn't matter what it is aware of, if that's the nature of everything, then everything is perfect life and death and good and bad and pain and pleasure it's all one it's all at a deeper level one substance so everything's perfect so that's one kind of knowing that we can know and then the person asked you know well how can you say that about terrorist acts and the terrible things that happen and your cancer and this and that and you're possibly dying young um, this kind of thing, I, I wouldn't stretch it as, as a sort of idea that then tries to fit. What happens is these kind of perceptions, the heart, the being, the consciousness, opens to them more and more. 
And at a certain point, we get there's a kind of perfection at that level of universality. But to try and then fit it as an idea where it won't go, no. Respond with compassion, respond with wise action in, in response to these things in the world. And, and if that response of wise seeing and wise compassion is not there, and a person is saying it's perfect, it makes me very suspicious. So it's perfect and, and one does everything one can to respond to the suffering in the world. When, when that response is not there and the heart is not touched by the pain in the world, something's off in my everything's perfect story. Something's not authentic for me. But if and when I said that about possibly dying soon, etc., that's not quite what I meant, or rather I included that, but I meant more about this, this individuality, the particulars. And in a way, it, it comes out of us so just imaginal practice. Yes, sure, the emptiness and all that, all that, but imaginal practice, life becomes image. My life, my being, all the particular gifts and all the particular struggles and challenges, the duration of my life, however long that turns out to be, the birth, the death, the things that come through me, these are all seen, they become ensouled. And in that soul they're not, they, they are felt at times to not be separate from, if you like, a world soul. And all this arises naturally in the course of imaginal practice, filling out, filling out, the conceptual structure being big enough to expand and, and hold these kind of altered perceptions. So, at one level, of course, I, you know, I don't want to die. I want to live. And at another level, there's, I don't know, I honestly don't know what will happen, there's something perfect in the particulars, and, and it's such a striking uh, depth of, of, of seeing that. There's a kind of amazement at the perfection of even the little, all the little details. So this is, this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. It's different kinds of sense of divinity, the universal and, and on one hand, and, and in and through the particular, and they're not really separate. So in terms of instructions and things like that, yeah, what would... What would in a way, it's just a natural evolution of imaginal practice, that kind of seeing, that kind of um, availability of that kind of perception. Um, you know, we've been working with this imaginal figure of love, and it doesn't have to be a figure of love, it could be any imaginal figure, but there's a sense, as I said, in, almost in my definition of imaginal, that it includes a dimension of divinity. We sense a divinity there. And... and in the meditation, the, the imaginal figure, or any imaginal figure that feels divine in some way, is, is gazing at you. And maybe with love, maybe with, with who knows what. Um, but the, the, ga the sustained gaze of that divinity on me, on you, in the meditation, eventually um, you become imbued with divinity. The gaze communicates all kinds of things, not only love, but eventually, I feel divine through the gaze of the divine on me. Eventually. 
there's a, I'm, I'm not talking about something that necessarily happens like that, but there's, there's something that there's an evolution here. And in a way, that's part of what we talked about. Some is the harmonizing of the. Um, here I am looking at this uh, imaginal figure, and I come into harmony with those divine qualities. And that harmony moves towards union. So that I be- may become that figure, or I, I become divine in, in these ways. There was that beautiful quote that Catherine read, I uh, can't remember when it was, but um, from Thomas Merton, um, this prayer, none of me belongs to anyone but you, God. None of me belongs to anyone but you. And sometimes sometimes just letting, letting these uh, fragments of poetry arise in the mind and letting them do their soul work, letting them echo in the heart and resonate None of me belongs to anyone but you, God. And we might not even know, what, what, what does it mean? What am I saying? But there's poetry there, and the poetry works on us. And so in, in that, you can hear it in that beautiful line of Thomas Merton, there's the surrender, the surrender of the being. None of me belongs to anyone but you. And that surrender, uh, we, we talked about this before, can, can um, open to a receiving and that receiving to the harmonizing, and the harmonizing to a union, and there is a sense of, I belong to you, and I am divine also. Or it might be that in a cosmopoesis, again, it's the, the imaginer spilled over into the world, and whenever there's... Uh, an image is alive, whether that's an imaginal figure or, or a world seen as image in cosmopoesis, there's always, at that point, the self is being imagined at the same time. And sometimes we don't realize this. So sometimes you can just check, well, well what's, the, what's the sense of self right now? And, and one, one might recognize there's a kind of divinity also in the sense of self at that point. And what happens, or what can happen, and some people already, um, maybe who have been practicing with imaginal for a while and things, um, you know, report just being able to just remember the sense of divinity and, and just bring it into the moment and see something as divine and see oneself as divine. It gets more available. Uh, it just becomes something you can just do it. Just, just, just flip the perception. Just enter another mode of perception. And that sound, might sound like, oh, that, I don't know how that went, but actually it just comes with familiarity, with, with practice. retreat but you know um, what is it to which we've touched on a little bit what is it to know instead of being always suspicious of my desire that's a kilesa that's a defilement it's one of the three poisons or uh, what is it actually to um, even entertain the notion that there the desire has divine roots that there's a divinity, a treasure in my desire, in my eros. 
What's the difference between eros and greed? What's the difference? What makes it open up into soul-making or makes it contract the being, contract the soul, shrink the life and the perception? What's the difference? Do I need to throw out desire? And desire being, if you like, an aspect of self. Can I see the divinity? Can I know the divinity of desire? Discover the divinity in desire? Or anger, rage? These things that we view as enemies, defilements, etc. Is it, is it just so simple? In, 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 in Buddhist tantrism, there, there are practices for um, one, one deliberately considers or imagines uh, in different ways um, the, div- the divinity of different aspects of the self, like desire or anger or, or the body or the senses. These are imagined as different deities, even all kinds of exercises that one can do. And in the... Um, in the Jewish tradition, uh, you know, there's you know, 613 uh, commandments, like little prescriptions for things you're supposed to do, uh, how you wash your hands, what you're supposed to do or not do on the Sabbath, or all, all kinds of things, every little detail of life. And there's prayers often with, with a lot of these uh, things. So you wash your hands, you say a, a blessing, uh, you, you eat, you say a blessing, you take a certain drink, you take, you, you, everything becomes blessed through these commandments. So it can look like a, lot, a bunch of rules, kind of lifeless and constricting. But at its root, the, the mystical idea there is to, is to bless and to sense one's life and, and the, the world and, and one's actions as blessed. We're, we're opening to... <coughs> to seeing our actions as blessing and blessing God, blessing life through, through that. And if that kind of practice goes deeper and deeper, this sense of um, ritual blessing, of blessing life, of being blessed by life, of blessing the divine in and through one's actions, in and through, including the actions of perceiving, of consciousness, of kindness, One, one can almost feel that one is part of God doing that. There's the divinity acting <coughs> through me in this action, washing my hands, eating a piece of bread. Who's doing that? In, in, in uh, Buddhist teaching, uh, there's also, who sees? Who are you? And one answer is, um, no one, nothing. Anatta, no self. Another answer, I would, I would say, I would hesitate to use the word deeper, but another level of answer, who sees? Who are you? The Buddha. Buddha nature sees. Buddha nature is conscious in your sight, in your sound, in your in your hearing, excuse me, in your tasting, in your thinking, 
Buddha nature, Buddha is seeing, is knowing, is conscious, is alive through you. Buddha is acting through you. The cosmic Buddha, the Dharmakaya. Again, sometimes, sometimes the deeper one practices with emptiness and all that, the more of these become available, but also sometimes they just they can just be poetic ideas and we can just try them on. There's a kind of concept there, but the concept is not just an intellectual thing. We can bring it in in a way that the concept becomes a percept, a perception, not just an idea. It actually starts imbuing, I actually feel like my, my seeing is different now. It's, it's the Buddha's seeing. It's some divine seeing through me. And the body is involved. So it's not just heady. Concept, percept, and body are connected intimately woven together. So really just, if you like, um, pointing out certain possibilities, um, how this might come, uh, what what might support it. Uh, This re-enchanting of the self and recognizing being able to move in and out of the perception of oneself as divinity in all, in all one's particulars. In one's personhood, not the erasing, the erasure, the blanching of one's personhood, but the uh, inflaming of one's personhood with the divine flame, seeing that one's persons, one partic- one's particulars are divine fire. I wonder about doing a little exercise now. Um, Yeah, let's do that. So, um, why don't you just turn to your neighbor, and so we'll do this, an exercise in Dutch. Someone you don't know, if that's, uh, so if you need to move places or or whatever. Does anyone? Yeah, if you if you haven't got anyone, just stand and and um, uh. ah, good. Okay. So, um, first things first, uh, settle into the body, your body. (laughs) Uh, Tomorrow's another day, but um, (laughs) settle settle into your body. Feel the ground. Feel the connection with, with the ground underneath you, whether it's your, your backside, your legs, your feet, whatever is touching the ground. Really, really get that solidity. 
and your connection with the ground. And just that establishment of grounding, of connection. And from that grounding, feel the rest of your body. Feel the uprightness of the posture. Feel your body Feel your body sitting and feel, as we've been talking about so much, the energy body, the, um, the field of energy, of vibration, texture. And again, whatever we do, can this be something that we're just uh, remaining in contact with, sensitive to, open to? You're just dwelling, inhabiting, filling that space with your awareness. So any time over the next few minutes that you feel you've lost that, just keep checking in. Do I still, am I still here in this space? Do I still have some uh, consciousness including how this space, how the energy body feels? And if, if you don't, then, then can that be retained? Not at the exclusion of the other, necessarily, hopefully, but retained alongside or in, in the envelope of the awareness of the other. So that you have your experience and your experience of the other. Not losing myself, my sensitivity to myself in the awareness of other, nor am I losing the other because I'm just with myself. So with this, staying in contact with the energy body, let yourself (coughs) just become aware of the other. You don't need to make um, direct eye contact at this point if you don't want to, no problem. But you're just aware of the being in front of you and aware of your own being at the same time. Body and being here, body and being there. Just awareness of self, of other. Now this person who you may not know very well at all, you probably don't, just offering them metta, well-wishing, I don't know exactly what your struggles are, I don't know exactly what your joys are, but I wish you well. I wish your body well. I wish you well in your being, in your mind, in your heart. Just very gentle, just just offering them that well-wishing, radiating out towards them. Pure and simple. Doesn't depend on anything, what they look like or what you think they might be like. Just wishing well. And just having the intention to wish well.
again and again, the intention repeating gently, gently. Now, as you're giving the metta, and you can just gently sustain that gentle intention, you're with your body and your energy body, can you also include an awareness that you are at this moment receiving the metta of the other? So there's, you're giving and you're also receiving. And just lightly, spaciously holding or feeling both of those uh, elements, aspects. There's the giving and the receiving of the well-wishing of the other. This other is wishing you well. This other has the intention to wish you well over and over, just as you are engaging in towards them. When you feel ready, if your eyes are not already open, allow them to open and allow yourself to make eye contact with each other as you, as you sustain this giving and receiving of matter towards each other. So metta means implicitly a letting go of ju judgment. You're receiving a gaze that has the intention for no judgment, only well-wishing. You're receiving that right now, and you're over and over giving that. So let yourself make the contact, giving and receiving, caring. try to add one more piece. If you look into the other's eyes, can you see the life in the eyes? Can you see and feel and sense the presence that shines out of the eyes? Feel and sense the consciousness, the awareness, the brightness and the aliveness of that. This is consciousness that is visible, is palpable, sensible in the eyes of the other, through the eyes of the other. Is that possible? Get that tuning to that, the sense of the bright presence, the consciousness, as it is radiating from the other's eyes.
there is this mystery there, this mystery of being, mystery of consciousness, amazing aliveness of that, the brightness, the illumination, the radiance of that, the presence. Sometimes you get a sense of the mystery of it and the depth of it and the almost surprise of it, the divinity of it. Very human and so much in it. The human has divine dimensions. the divinity of this consciousness, the blessing of the consciousness. feel okay staying with that, or again you might want to return to the metta and the well-wishing. So you can include that awareness of the consciousness or the divinity, but then include now again the, the metta, the giving and the receiving offering of these intentions of kindness, of well-wishing. Feeling your body, feeling the energy body, including self, including other in the awareness, in the metta. Taking a moment to thank your partner, to 
Thank yourself. And if you can pry yourself, <laughs> returning to to that, um, so just to reiterate and something I think we said right at the beginning of the tree you know distinctions are useful um, categorizations are useful but they're also limited so um, it's helpful to differentiate I think between um, universal kinds of uh, perceptions perceptions of a kind of universal divinity and perceptions of more particular or personified or personhooded divinity but they overlap they, they totally overlap but but if we don't make a distinction, it's almost like sometimes the experience just goes in a certain direction and misses other possibilities. So distinctions are skillful means, but they're not really real. Um, so, so all these things overlap. So um, <clears throat> it may be that as you go to walking, which if you have a raincoat, or don't mind the blessings of the rain, if you're happy to soak them in, be outside or be inside. It may be that this, any effects or resonances kind of linger after making contact uh, in this way. Really take very good care to keep any inner critic out of the picture. Oh, I blew it, you know, I had my one chance at seeing divinity and really keep that, you know, I didn't do it right, or the other one was more divine than me. <laughs> you know, all of those, where the, where the better than, worse than, same as story starts, really take care with that. So we can really allow to practice here in the, in the sacred boundary of the temple. We keep those kinds of assessments outside the gate. Right, so you're really allowed to settle. Let your feet both give and receive blessing as you walk. Um, hold your heart and uh, um, and this is a precious day every day is a precious day right we don't always realize it but you've put a lot of groundwork in um, you have a lot of resource in each of your soul even if sometimes we're working with feeling like we don't have enough resource so really use the day really let it use you actually let the day use you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.